God on the move. A few years ago, there were only two stores in all of Greece where you could buy a Bible. Two. They were both in downtown Athens and within like a 10-minute walk of each other. So if you live up in Thessaloniki, you can't buy a physical version of the Bible in Greek. And so our desire with Operation Joshua was to hand out a Bible that was in everyday Greek that would be easy for people to be able to just pick up and read and have community with the Lord. If you feel like going back and listening to that again, you're like me. But yes, you have heard correctly. And no, this is not a different Greece, a small country that not many people have heard about. This is the great Greek mythology Greece, Plato, the Olympics, Alexander the Great Greece, Southeastern Europe Greece. It's the same Greece that St. Paul travelled to on his missionary journeys and wrote the original biblical letters to, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Philippians and Patmos, where St. John received the vision of the book of Revelation. You're listening to God on the Move, a Lausanne Movement podcast, and this is the story of Operation Joshua. So let's back up and start at the beginning. The voice you heard earlier was Janice Sewell. She currently serves as the Technical Support Operations Assistant for the Lausanne Movement and as Operations Manager for Lausanne Europe. She was part of an operation to distribute New Testaments to the entirety of rural Greece. And here's her story. I was born and raised in Iceland, but my mom is French. My dad was English. So I've always considered myself a pan-European person. And when I was 20 years old, the Lord called me to go to Greece as a missionary. So I went to Greece in 2004 for the Olympics. And I was intending only to go for about three months. And 15 years later is actually when I'm in Greece, leaving the country. When Janet moved to Greece in 2004, she worked for an organisation called Hellenic Ministries. Hellenic Ministries was founded in 1980 by Kostas Makris. Although Greece, with its nearly 11 million citizens, is according to statistics 93% Christian, most people have all but lost the true message of the Gospel. And as you have heard in the introduction, copies of modern Bible translations are hard to get. Here's Janet again. So Greece, even though Greece is the first nation to have received, and I mean, the New Testament is largely written in Greek, by Greeks, for Greeks, or I mean, the Romans, I- Italy, but like it's 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 in the vicinity of Greece, right? However, when the Reformation happened in Europe, the Reformation never made it to Greece because Greece was under the Ottoman Turks. And so they were under Islamic rule at the time of like the Reformation happening in Europe. And so that means that the Orthodox Church and Greece operates as a pre-Reformation kind of mindset and ideology. And so the Greek Orthodox Church will tell people, don't read the Bible. You're not educated enough to read the Bible. If you have a question, you go back to your local priest. And every single town, every single village has a local church in it and has a local priest. And so, yeah, if you have a question, that's who you go talk to. And so what we said at Hellenic Ministry is like, no, people need to read God's word for themselves because God's words, it transforms people. Like it transformed Europe. Like we we saw the effects that it had <laughs> on Europe during the Reformation. It was like, well, why can't we kind of like 
have a wave of that happening in, in Greece. And to kind of compound it, it's like the realization that there are only two stores, or there were a few years ago, I don't know if it's changed now, but a few years ago, there are only two stores in all of Greece where you could buy a Bible, two. They were both in downtown Athens and within like a 10 minute walk of each other. So if you live up in Thessaloniki, you can't buy a physical version of the Bible in Greek. Households would own Bibles, but in a very old Greek. So like think older than King James. So not a Bible that is easy to read. It's not an everyday Greek. It's, it's, it's not as accessible. And so as part of this ministry, Kostas Makris later had the idea for Operation Gideon. Greece features a vast number of islands, 227 of which were inhabited. Before the Summer Olympics 2004 were held in Athens, the idea birthed to distribute New Testaments to every household on these islands. After just two years, with the help of about 600 volunteers from all over the world, Operation Gideon was finished. When that was all done, at the end of his life, Kostas Makris challenged his son and said, we need to do the mainland next. There's also a lot of fear because Operation Gideon was the islands, you know, that was manageable. It was a chunk, you know, it's the islands. Now that we're done with the islands, we can say we finished a project, you know, but the mainland, <laughs> like, like that's 17 years worth of work, you know, if we're lucky. <laughs> so I think like it was a bit more apprehensive, like it, there was some apprehension about starting, but we all felt like, no, we need to start. And so that's kind of how Operation Joshua was born. As Joshua conquered the land for the Israelites in the Old Testament, we were conquering Greece with, with the gospel. You might wonder, how does anybody, never mind Janet being in the early 20s, go about a mega project like this? It certainly needs a lot of planning and strategizing. I had my own ideas, but to be really honest, I wouldn't have known where to start. In just a moment, Janet will mention HMS. If you didn't catch it, these are all the people that work for the Hellenic Ministry. And this is what their team did to solve this problem. We went back to the government and got the official population data for every single city and village. From there, we, we figured that there was about 2.7 or 3 people per household and calculated how many New Testaments every single village or town needed. And then the question became, where do we start? And that year, the the province of Ilia had just gone through major fires. And we were like, we need to encourage that area. And so that's where we decided to go there. And so the first year, I think we were about 80, 85 people, all of them HMers or people that like were coming over for that summer. So very few people from outside of Greece joined us that summer. It was very much a family thing. And that was the first time um, we did an Operation Joshua. It was a good learning curve. And and then we just kind of fanned out from there. So instead of going like elite, like one province and then going to the other side of the country and do there. So we said, OK, let's let's start in Ilia. The Ilia is in the Peloponnese. And so it's like, OK, let's do that. And then let's, let's kind of just fan out and finish all of the Peloponnese. So we did that in about five, five years. And then we decided, OK, now let's go up north. So by Turkey. 
and then kind of fan out from from east to west and then down towards Athens. So we kind of had like a systematic way of looking at the map and 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 systematically go through every single province. It also meant that if we, if we had places that were left over from like the 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 previous year we could easily go back the next year and just finish those areas up as we were doing other villages nearby. I mean, it would take us a year to get each OJ prepared because like we had to, first of all, decide where we were going. And then we had to find Google Maps of every single area, make sure that every house was covered. So logistically, it was a lot, a lot of work. I actually remember somebody, he was from the U.S. Army base in Crete. And he's like, you guys are more organized than the U.S. Army. And we're like, yes, <laughs> this this little band of people <laughs> led by youth <laughs> is more organized than some of these big army organizations and whatnot. So that was a bit of a pride moment for us. <laughs> and so we would ask every single person that was a driver if they did not already have a Greek number to get a Greek number. So it was easy to communicate and call everybody. And so logistically, what would happen on the ground is there was a section of the work that we called dispatch. And we'd have one, two, three, four, depending how many people we could get on there, kind of just calling and coordinating all of the different drivers. Now, if you can imagine, we would have a huge map in front of us of the entire area and little flags that would represent each and every single car. And so we literally would move these little flags on the map to say like, okay, so this car is now going here. This car is going here. These, we now have like four cars in this little village and this area. Imagine risk, <laughs> the board game risk, if you've ever seen that. That's basically what it was for us. It was a huge game of risk <laughs> and we're just coordinating this. We've often joked, we're never going to play risk again because like we, we've lived the real life risk <laughs> game. <laughs> so yeah, it was basically a year to get ready and then the week would happen and all hands on deck. And that was it. We got it done every summer. So every summer we would do anywhere between, well, I think the first few years we we would do around 40,000, 50,000, 80,000 New Testaments. By the end, I think we were doing 120, some of the, so yeah, very, very systematic, very logical in that sense. Um, then we gathered people from all over the world. We, I mean, we had people from China join us, people from Australia, South Africa, we people from Germany, Brazil. I mean, like Canadians, Americans. Like we've had people all over the world come and join us. Um, or we would gather together and we would spend a day explaining to all the drivers and all the teams what we expect them to do or to be doing on on throughout this week. And then we would ask everybody to fill up their cars with as many New Testaments as they could fit into their cars. We would hand them out a daily assignment with X amount of villages. So if a village was particularly large, we would send this one car to one village. We might send two, three cars or even a van load of people to a specific town. And then with Google Maps. So it's basically imagine like a, a folder with today's assignment and a whole bunch of Google Maps. And then we just sent people and asked them to make sure that every single household in that village or that town. So like people would sometimes drive for 20 minutes into the middle of nowhere <laughs> to make sure that the final house had a New Testament. So 
yeah, that's kind of how we did it. And then everybody would come home and we would have dinner together. We would share stories. We would do worship and spend some time in the Lord. And yeah, so it was basically like a, a camp feeling. Before COVID, it was more intense. And after COVID, it became more uh, hotel rooms. <laughs> and so, yeah, so basically kind of like a camp atmosphere, starting out together, having breakfast, hitting the road, going out, distributing the Bibles, and then coming home and spending time together again as in, in fellowship. Now I was wondering what the distribution actually looks like. In my mind, I picture a bunch of young charismatic people with a big smile on their face going from door to door and talking to everyone. Not wanting to rely on my own imagination, I asked Janet and found that I was totally wrong. And I'm glad I asked because I learned something else about the challenges they faced. So the idea was to not ring the doorbell to talk to a person, because as soon as you do that, you have the possibility of getting a no, we don't want this Bible. In Greece, because of the Orthodox Church, if you're not Orthodox, you're considered a heretic. So as evangelicals, we are considered heretics in Greece. And actually, they would warn people and say like, okay, the heretics are coming back and it seems like they're going to this area. Please be warned. Don't take a Bible from them. They're not good Bibles. They've changed them. Of course, we didn't. But like there was always this big fear of like, what is it that they're handing out? So what we did is actually we we found a, a version of the Bible that had been accepted and has been accepted by the Orthodox Church, even has the Orthodox Church stamp and seal. And so we would show this to people saying, no, 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 we're giving you the good word. It's a good version of the Bible. So and but at the same time, on the flip side is Greeks are curious. And I think it's just human nature. We're all curious, right? If you tell somebody not to do something, <laughs> you're always going to go, why? <laughs> so if you talk to the person to save face, they'll say, no, 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 no. I don't want the Bible, like, go away. This is a heresy, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, if you just hang it on the door or the gate or whatever, and then you walk away, they're a lot more likely to open up the Bible and, and start reading them and saying like, okay, what's what what is this about like why am i not supposed to be reading this so yeah so we would try not to get into conversations with people and it's not because we were against evangelism <laughs> absolutely not but it's if you get into conversations you also slow down and the purpose of this was to hand out the word of god at this point it's important to emphasize that we're not trying to bash the orthodox church in any way shape or form we love Orthodox believers and consider them our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you want to learn more about how Orthodox and Evangelical Christians can respect each other's beliefs, learn from each other and support one another as we each obey the call to share in God's mission, please check out the website of the Lausanne Orthodox Initiative under www.loimission.net. Now, let's continue the story and hear more about the Bible distribution. And so in these bags, we would put a New Testament. Because we're also going into the villages, you have literacy issues. So not everybody is literate, especially the older generation that maybe did not have the opportunity to go to school. And so we would put in also a CD with God's word in audio format. And then a track about who we are as evangelicals, 
what is the gospel and then also just explaining to people who we are as Hellenic ministries so that we're not hiding who we are so we just tell people like this is what we're doing this is what we're about if you need to call us here's our phone number if you need to come visit our offices here's where our offices are so we're not hiding behind a PO box we're not hiding from people Regardless of all transparencies and precautions they took, the whole operation wasn't always as straightforward and unhindered as one might hope. Janet told me that the team found Bibles that had been thrown away, chucked into rivers or even burnt. Not only must this be utterly demoralising for all those who believe this to be the word of God, but it also raises the question, is it really worth it? Was it demoralising to find a Bible burnt or put in a dumpster? Yeah probably the first time and the second time. And then the third time you're probably getting upset. (laughs) Um, But uh, the nice thing also about Operation Joshua is we had the same people come year after year after year. So it was people that knew what to expect. So those were typically the people that would be driving and so team leaders. And so like, yeah, I think at the very beginning, it was probably more shocking than by the end. So if we found a Bible that was burnt, there's nothing much you can do. The Bible's been completely destroyed. I remember like a team specifically actually bringing a a burnt Bible back and saying like, look what we found kind of a thing. But Bibles found in uh, dumpsters, garbages, whatever, if we saw those, we would generally ask people like, please save them. (laughs) Like, please go in. We had people literally going into dumpsters, digging out the Bibles. I mean, it's God's word. Like it's, it's, it's holy. And so the fact that people treat it that way is heartbreaking. So yeah, we would try and save the Bibles that we could save. And people have often asked us also, like, why are you doing this? If people are burning the Bibles, if people are are throwing the Bibles out, why even keep going with this? And the answer to that is because it's only maybe 10 to 20% of the Bibles. We realize 10 to 20% of the Bibles are not going to be read, are not are going to be thrown out, are going to be destroyed, whatever. So stories of people reading the Bible, like feedback, how much feedback have we gotten? Um, considering that we've handed out 1.5 million New Testaments, we've got practically no feedback back. But what about the 80%? What about those that are reading it? And even if it's just one person that comes to the Lord, was it worth it? Yes. That resonated with me. So often it's easy to say, If it's for one person, it's totally worth it. I might be a little bit pessimistic here, overly critical, but I wonder if we as Christians always believe what we say. I find that often we're obsessed about numbers and measurable outcomes, statistics and efficiency. But don't get me wrong, all these things are good and useful in their own rights. But would we continue with everything we do and face major challenges if we wouldn't have positive feedback at all? I'm truly amazed and admire Operation Joshua for this. 1.5 million New Testaments were handed out and only a handful of people contacted Hellenic ministries to share their life-changing encounters. Those that did, however, resemble the wonderful ways God loves and cares for his people. Like, we've had two or three people come back to us and say, like, I was about to commit suicide. And I thought nobody loved me. I thought that I was not cared for. And coming home and saying like, okay, this is the day where I'm doing it. Coming home and finding a bag on my doorknob that says God loves you. And then kind of taking out the Bible. And I think she opened it to John 16 and just started reading. 
the specific incident that I'm thinking about. And this lady said like she ran next door and asked to see the Bible to make sure like, is, is it always, is that marker always in the same place or is it in different places? And when she realized that the Bibles around her had the marker, like the page marker in different places in the Bible, she realized, no, God was talking to me. And so a lot of these people like then became, well, those that were like those stories that we heard, they became Christians. They wanted to find a church, started attending church, got baptized and are living in, in Christian communities and, and, and going to church. Um, yeah, so we have we have stories like that and just also just driving home. So like as you drive out, like you're passing out your Bibles and you, you keep going to the next village and the next town and you inevitably have to drive through some of these towns and villages to come home again. And just seeing people on their balconies reading or or people talking about it or people walking around with the bag in their hands, you know, and like like people engaging with God's word was just tremendously encouraging to everybody. So as you're walking by and or, or you're driving by and you're seeing like this this 80 year old papu reading the bible <laughs> it's wonderful it's like that's why that's exactly why we're doing this or we did this yeah god works in wonderful and mysterious ways it is good to give thanks to the lord and to sing praises to your name o most high to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness at night before we end I want to share two more stories to complete the picture. The first one is a story of challenges on going through the dark valley. It's a story of insecurity and curiosity, a testimony to God's goodness and how important a thorough organization and planning is. The second is a beautiful and yet heartbreaking picture of the global church and another sign why Jesus' prayer for unity was and still is so relevant. Please note, it has nothing to do with denominations and might as well have happened within a different tradition somewhere else. In larger towns and, and, and cities, we would do what we call a blitz day, um, where we'd send all of our cars, all of our teams to this one town and distribute like 20,000 New Testaments in one day, in one place. Coordination is madness, but it's a lot of fun. And at the end of that day, a couple of the people got rounded up and taken to the police and they were like, okay, right. We want to talk to everybody. <laughs> so I started calling everybody. like, right, come here, come here, come here. By the end, there was like 60, 70 people <laughs> at this police station just being detained. So we never got arrested because what we're doing is not illegal. However, they could make our lives very difficult. And we always had lawyers on call. So we had like, we have a couple of lawyers on staff at Hellenic Ministries, one full-time and then one on the board, two on the board, and they were just on call. So if a police would come up or if anybody was like questioning the legalities, people were just instructed to call the lawyer and then just hand the phone over to the Greek guy or a woman or priest or whatever and, and have the lawyer deal with it. Before we continue with the story, I want to let you know that we want to share mission stories from the Global Church with the Global Church. So if you have a story to share or know someone who might have, please contact us at podcast at That is podcast at But yeah, so I think like that's... Yeah, those have been like some of the biggest challenges. One of my favorite stories, actually, and just such a good example of 
of the dichotomy is one, there was one team that was driving to one city and the priest lay down in front of the car and said, over my dead body, will you pass out New Testaments in my village? So like literally laid down quite dramatic <laughs> in front of the car and said, here and no further. Like you're either leaving, but you're not going on. And then the same team drove about 20 minutes down the road and were handing out New Testaments there. And then all of a sudden see the priest running up behind them with his arms full of the bag. So he'd just been like, like he he just grabbed like a whole bunch of bags and put him on his arms and was like, and, and was running behind the team. And the team was like, oh no, he's literally been to every single door that we visited and picked up all of the Bibles and is now coming to yell at us. And the priest came up to them smiling and said, guys, where to next? I want to help. <laughs> So he'd found the box, he'd found the stash in the car somewhere or wherever they were keeping the Bibles as it was handing them out, grabbed a whole bunch of them and wanted to help. So here you have the same Orthodox church, right? You have a priest like 20 minutes earlier, what, 10 kilometers away from them? One guy is saying, over my dead body, will you keep doing this? And here's the other guy saying like, this is great. This is amazing. I want to help. Show me where to go next. So we've seen both sides of the story. Officially, the Orthodox Church is against us. However, you do have the 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 local priest that is on our side. And I mean, some of them have even called us and said, like, hey, could you send me some new Bibles? Because like I'd love to hand them out to couples that are getting married as a gift. I mean, I love the fact that the Orthodox priest is calling us the evangelicals and asking us for Bibles. <laughs> but like that just shows you the state also of what's going on there. So yes, yeah, so of course, like at that point, we're sending them boxes if they want, like however many they want will give. And then we've heard of priests doing Bible studies with people there. And, and so we've heard both sides of the story, which has been amazing. You can probably imagine that there are a ton of other stories to tell. Handing out 1.5 million New Testaments in 17 years. Yes, there is more to share. Like the fact that people were overwhelmed by the tremendous sacrifice many of the volunteers would take upon themselves. That people would come from all over the world paying for their own trips and taking time off of work to hand out the word of God left a deep impression on many. Janet also shared how God would provide fundings, obviously in his own time. For example, there were days when they needed urgently 70,000 euros to pay the next day, but they had only like 20,000 in the bank account. Sure enough, after a long night of prayer, by nine o'clock the next morning, there were the addition of 50,000 euros. Although the distribution of New Testaments is completed, a project like this doesn't just end. I was curious about the next steps and also wanted to hear from Janet about encouragements that she took from Operation Joshua. So in terms of follow-up after Operation Joshua is to send in teams and do evangelism in the in the villages. I'm not quite sure if it's going to be a systematic thing, as systematic as Operation Joshua. But we already have actually a team of church planters that have been going back to the various areas. So as people were handing out New Testaments, there was always a, a, a way, a mechanism for them to report back names and phone numbers and emails, contact details of people that were interested to find out more. And so we would either send uh, a team back throughout the winter to go do evangelism and talk to them, start Bible studies or yeah, so 
I'm not quite sure what's going to happen officially in terms of like a, if there's going to be another project like Operation Joshua to go do that systematically. But I know that for the past few years, Hellenic Ministries has been sending teams into the villages to do follow-up. I know if like for a few years we were working with the, the Greek Bible College and sending some of their students down there. So yeah, but right now, Steve Calhoun, the guy that I was working with, um, throughout the first few years of OJ, he's now heading up the church planting team um, alongside a couple of other people. And they are um, desiring to go back into those same areas and 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 go talk to the people and, and see, find people of peace and, and start Bible studies and hopefully plant churches. And if there are evangelical churches in the area, work alongside them and, and send people there as much as humanly possible. So we've always tried to work with the evangelical, local evangelical churches and not try to work against them by any means. But like, can, how can we, how can we reinforce you? How can we help you? How can we, yeah, come alongside and, and, and provide support in any way that we can. If you would like to find out more about Operation Joshua, I would highly recommend just going to the website, operationjoshua.org. There you'll see the progress from all the different years. You'll see kind of like where we went each year and what we did. But then I think I'm pretty sure that if anything, when, when they are ready to advertise the next thing, that will probably show up on the website. So that's keep an eye out for that one. <laughs> Operationjoshua.org. Please be praying for the people that received uh, the the Bibles, that the Greek nation is reading the Bible, that the Lord will minister to to the people that are reading, that the Lord will plant seeds in people's hearts, minds, and souls and send people to water. And yeah, we would love to see a, a revival happening in Greece as a result of this. Uh, and maybe there is, and we just don't know about it. And we've often joked, like, we, we can't wait to get to heaven and see what the Lord has actually done through Operation Joshua, because we just, we don't know in that sense. But we stepped out in faith and handed out New Testaments to every single household in Greece, praying that the Lord will capture people's minds, hearts, and they will come to a saving knowledge of, of who he is. So I think we can, if we can keep praying for that, praying for the teams that are going to go back and doing evangelism in, in the villages, that they will meet people of peace, that there will be God encounters and people just being open to hearing about the gospel and even people opening up their homes to Bible studies and, and even home church plants. Why not? Um, if we can see a movement of, of home churches starting in Greece and in, in, in rural Greece, that would be absolutely amazing. And then, I mean, Operation Joshua was was on the mainland in rural Greece, but the big cities that such as Athens and Thessaloniki that we've often joked, if we ever do those, that should be called Operation Goliath. Is the Lord asking us to go there next? The answer to that question is, we don't know yet, at least not at the point of recording this podcast. But what is God asking you to do? What could you do in your area? Here's a short encouragement from Janet. People are open to the gospel. So maybe find out if the people around you need a New Testament. We've had people that that, that participated at, at OJ do their own mini OJs back home and handed out New Testaments on their street and in their little town or village where they were based. So why not buy 40 Bibles and hand them out to your local street with your phone number in there and say, if you're interested to find out more, give me a call and we can start doing a Bible study. That would be a great way of doing it. Yeah, I think looking up and realizing that the fields are ready for harvest. 
so many times we just keep looking down at our little own place or our own, like our, our own lives even, and not looking up and seeing, okay, the harvest is plentiful. The fields are ripe. What can my part be in this great mission that God is doing here on this earth? And see, okay, Lord, what's my part to play in all of this? And a 22-year-old was asked to lead a, a Bible distribution outreach, you know, and it's been very much youth-led throughout, well, most of its years anyway. And realizing like it's possible, it, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're 16 or if you're 60 or 90, there's always possibilities for you to be serving and, and reaching out to people, reaching out to, if you're 90, reaching out to the younger generation and speaking into their lives. If you're 16, asking, will an older person mentor me and help me walk through life? So it doesn't even have to be evangelism or anything like that, but like, how can we walk together in a community? as Christians, doing life together. And then as we do life together, that kind of automatically spreads out. So how can we how can we be a community? Today, people are so lonely, especially the older generation, especially the retired people who are living by themselves, who literally, when they go to the store, that's their only point of human contact in, in the day or even in the week. Can we can we be a light to that person? Is there a person that you know that you see on your block somewhere? Can you just go up to them and say, hey, like, I see you go out on a walk every day. Can I join you? You know, and, and can, can we maybe do a Bible study together? So I think just just being bold and asking and, and, and offering help and offering a Bible, I find that or even just a prayer. People people are open. Definitely people are open and they desiring to hear and the worst that can happen is they'll say no thank you <laughs> you've listened to god on the move lasan movement podcast where we want to listen to mission stories from the global church through listening to what god is doing around the world we hope to encourage and challenge the global church to faithful obedience to the great commission so let's accelerate global mission together toward a vision for the gospel for every person Disciple-making churches for every people and place, Christ-like leaders in every church and sector, and kingdom impact in every sphere of society. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us for more.